Hey everybody, Kevin Rose here. Welcome back to another episode of Block Zero. This is the show where we talk all things cryptocurrency. Before we get started with this awesome episode, I want to tell you about coin tracking. It is the place, the site that I use, the product that I use to track all of my trades. And you might not think you you need this, and I didn't think so initially either, but then I realized I'm going to have to pay taxes on this stuff at some point, and I'm using all these kind of crazy, somewhat shady, weird exchanges that may or may not have APIs, and I just need a place that tracks all my gains and losses and puts it into one nice report for me to view. And I would say that coin tracking is probably the best um, product that I've found to do this. Now, there, there are a lot of different kind of portfolio management products and apps that are beautiful and they work quite well. And I've tweeted about a bunch of them, but I would say this is the one for the kind of more hardcore trader that cares about things like taxes. So anyway, check it out. It's completely free. If you don't like it, don't buy it. You can sign up without even paying for it or putting, you know, sending them any Bitcoin or anything. Um, you can do that by visiting podcast.kevinrose.com slash coin tracking. So podcast.kevinrose.com slash coin tracking. That'll take you to my link and it helps fund the show. So thank you for checking that out and let me know what you think. So today's show is pretty awesome. Um, we have the co-founder of Ripple and the founder of Stellar, Jed McCaleb. Jed, I first met here when I invested in Ripple when I was at Google Ventures quite a few years ago, and he was at Ripple at the time. Um, he later broke off, left there, and created Stellar, which is, in in many ways, it's it's very similar to Ripple, but I would consider it almost like a more, if you think of Ripple as, as kind of the commercial Microsoft of the payment settlements world, then you would think of Stellar as the more open source um, nonprofit. And he's done a lot of great work here and stuck with this project for, for quite some time. He created Stellar back in um, 2014. And now it is, is massive. It's been blowing up. People are doing their ICOs on it. Um, which is crazy. And it is at the time of this recording, it is ranked number six in terms of market cap. And that comes in at $8.1 billion. So he's the sixth most popular, well, not popular, but highest market cap coin out there. And he's got some pretty cool plans and a, and a different take on what it means to form consensus and how money changes hands. And it's not your traditional kind of standard blockchain technology that, let's say, like a Bitcoin or even a, an Ethereum uses. It's quite different. So we, we get into all of that. I hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, the number one thing you can do to help us out um, is to go and rate the show. After you get done listening, head on over to iTunes or Google Play and give us a five-star review. That would be massive. It'll get more better guests on the show and get us recommended to more people. So thank you so much. And here is Jed McCaleb. You know, I'd love to start at the very beginning because I know you have, you're like an old school, like gangster in this space. <laughs> Uh, when did you first hear about cryptocurrency for the very, very first time? So there was a Slashdot article in 2010. You know, it's funny that people are still reading Slashdot then, but uh, yeah. I, basically my but the project I was working on before was kind of winding down and I was just kind of looking around for what else was out there, just kind of, so I just like randomly browsed Slashdot for the first time in years. And uh, yeah, there's this article about Bitcoin and uh, I read about it and got super excited. It was uh, like 
pretty immediately. I was like, this is amazing. I, Cause before I didn't think that it was possible to solve this problem. Um, so you had thought about the problem prior to this, uh, only, only kind of just vaguely in passing. I'd be like, Oh, it'd be cool if there was some sort of money that, that no one had, th- that wasn't centrally controlled or that, you know, that, you know, but, uh, I just didn't think it was actually possible. So. And so was that the actual, like, was that linking to the white paper, like the PDF at the time? How far along was the project at this point? Uh, so it, 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 I don't remember, I guess it probably linked to the white paper and Bitcoin talk. So I think, I think I looked at it before the Slashdot article, Bitcoin talk had 200 people on it, I think. Uh, after the Slashdot article, it had like 2000. So there was like a big crop of people that came in that first wave uh, and then just started building stuff and... Were you like mining right away? You're like, okay, I'm in. I'm gonna go give this a shot. No, I, n- I never mind. I don't know. I I, do, I wanted to start building stuff on it, and so like as as like something a way to like start learning the the system. Uh, basically, I built that exchange, Mount Gox. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did the Mount Gox thing? Because uh, you know, I I know this has been obviously people have covered this uh, uh, quite a bit over the years, uh, yeah. but the the thirty second version, like it was a trading card platform initially. Well, it was that years ago before I learned about Bitcoin. Okay. And so basically I just used the domain name for the, for, for this, the Bitcoin version. Right? I it was, see. It wasn't the code at all. It was just okay. the domain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So you made that exchange and that was like the first real exchange. How were people trading? They were just sending them to each other for fun. Well, there was stuff on the forum, like people would post on the forum and there were, there was some other exchange, but I think you had to actually coordinate with the person. It was more like local Bitcoin style where you would, you would like post, Hey, I want to sell these things. And someone would meet yeah. up in person. And yeah, I mean, they would do it online, but it was more ad hoc rather than like, you know, a, a central exchange kind of right. thing. Right. Yeah. So like I'll pay value so, and you send right. me some coins. Basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So you were in it in the very early days and then later broke off to go. I mean, the whole Mount Gox thing happened, which was a whole chaotic, crazy right, right. time. Um, and then you left and then what did you start after that? You know, I think Bitcoin's awesome idea, but one of the things that's always kind of bothered me about it is this mining process. Cause it's, you know, I think it, 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 it's pretty wasteful. And I, I'm, I was hoping that there would be a more efficient way to solve the problem. So I started thinking about it, came up with this idea that kind of led to what is Ripple today. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I, I ran that for a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of drama there too as well. But um, I think that's when we yeah. first met, actually. I came yeah. into the Ripple office yep. there because yeah. I invested from the Google Ventures side. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you left shortly thereafter, I think. Yep. And so what were you trying to solve with Ripple? What was your, what was your dream and kind of writing the code behind that? Um, so, I mean, originally it was basically, here's a better or, or like a different way to do this, like distributed, like decentralized money thing. Right. Uh, and then kind of, as we were making the project, we realized that because we were solving the consensus in a different way, you could do lots of other things, right. You could put any kind of asset into the network, things like this. Right. And so then it kind of became a little bit, uh, bigger than the original vision. Basically after Ripple, I went on to make Stellar and, and, and the vision there is basically, internet level protocol for payments, right? So uh, you, we want to like connect all the different financial institutions and payment networks together. So, you know, money, it's much, money moves a lot more like email does. Mm-hmm. And kind of the thought is that you need to connect not only just the large banks, but you need to connect like all the different financial institutions, right? Because it it, it can't be this thing. Like one of the cool things about um, having this uh, decentralized ledger is that you have you can have everybody participate kind of in the same network rather than have gatekeepers. So it's like a much more open system, like much more similar to the internet. So, and how does this differ from say, cause you know, ripple, they come out there and they say, we're trying to do a similar thing, right? Yeah. What was your take when you left there and said, okay, I have a different vision for how this is going to play out. What's the difference technically between, between the two systems? 
I mean, I didn't start Stellar till a year after I left Ripple about, but uh, basically, you know, today the the code is completely different. So technically there's lots of differences, but kind of at a, like, um, I guess, a philosophical level, like we set up uh, SDF as a nonprofit because, you know, like the internet, I think it needs to be open and neutral as possible. If you imagine the internet created by a for-profit company, it just would be a very different world, right? It, right? I don't think it really would have worked. And the same is true here, right? It needs like people need to think that this thing isn't controlled by a, a central entity and, you know, that they won't kind of like pivot or change their business model, things like that. So I think the, the governance is actually a huge, important piece, which I don't think that we had gotten right with Ripple. Um, and then also just kind of the, the approach to how you get this thing fully adopted. I think we're very much uh, more bottom up. Like, I, I think it's going to be a long time before big banks uh, actually adopt this kind of stuff. I mean, they'll all do pilots on it all day and like explore it. But Lots of pilots every yeah. week. There's a new pilot. <laughs> There's always pilots. But but going from pilot into production is like a whole nother thing. And then the banks themselves will tell you that, hey, it's just years and years before we'll ever do this. And I don't think they ever will until they see it working somewhere else in the world. They're just they're just too risk adverse and maybe rightfully so, but like they're just never going to be incumbents are never going to be the first movers here, right? Sure. So so we almost we, we don't focus on banks very much at all. We, we mainly focus on uh like remittance companies and other money transfer companies, right? So they're basically they they essentially have one line of business, which is move money from, you know, country A to country B. And for them, a network like Stellar is like, they can immediately see the benefit of it, you know, it makes things faster, cheaper, uh, more interoperable, like all these things are, are, are much better for them. So can you explain to me how the, the network actually functions? Because, you know, with proof of work or with with, you know, miners in general, it's pretty, you know, the, I think the average consumer thinks, okay, I get it. Somebody's running a rig at their house. This is why it's decentralized, even though you could argue it's a little bit more centralized than that, um, given some of the big players, but how does your network function? Who is running the nodes? How is consensus formed? In Stellar, um, you know, we have a different consensus model, Stellar Consensus Protocol. Uh, it was created by Professor David Mazaris of Stanford. Um, so he basically took sabbatical from Stanford and came and work on, worked with it, worked on it with us for like a year. What and year ba- was this? Was this this was in? Uh, it must have been like 2014, I say. I think yeah, okay. 2014. Um, uh, and so. Basically, the way it works is every node or, or server in the network chooses uh, a list of other nodes out there in the network that the, it wants to listen to, and then uh, essentially what this means is you, you can you know you you can pick the people that you think are Im- important, right? And then what happens is so you say like, hey, I'll agree to this uh, as long as you know five of these seven other people also agree to it. And then they're saying they'll agree to it if, you know, you know, 10 of these other 12 people agree to it or whatever. And, and basically what you can show is what, what David's paper shows is that you can form this transitive quorum over the whole network. And you can show that the whole network will converge to the same value as long as there's sufficient degree of overlap between these different nodes. And you can kind of think of it like, like a Facebook friends graph or something like that. Like, you know, everybody doesn't have to have the same set of friends, but a lot of people have overlap in friends, right? And you can kind of draw this graph. And as long as there's an overlap, you can cover the whole network, right? Mm-hmm. The beauty is you, it has like this flexible trust thing. So like if somebody starts misbehaving or uh, is like compromised, or is, is cheating or what have you, you can just drop them from your validator list. And it's, it's very simple to do. So you're agreeing on who the, like, the, the good, solid actors are in the space. You're saying, I, these are the people that I trust. And then you're looking for yeah. overlap. Yeah. And you don't really have to trust them. You just have to trust that they won't collude with each other, right? You have to believe that they're separate parties, right? That That's, the, that's kind of the level of trust, right? So it's uh, a little bit weaker than just having to believe that they're honest necessarily. And so, so some of the benefits are obviously it's it's 
requires way less resources because it's just message passing. And because like, for instance, if you want to do like the thing is proof of work really won't work for what we're trying to do with Stellar, right? So in Stellar, there's other assets, there's dollars and euros and all these kind of things. And you can imagine like the underlying cryptocurrency asset. We also have something equivalent to the Bitcoin called a Lumen. If that thing is say worth a million dollars, like it's say its market cap is a billion dollars, but there's a trillion dollars worth of dollars and euros in the network. Proof of work only takes into uh, account the native asset. It doesn't mm-hmm. take into account these these uh, like uh, tokenized assets, right. right? So so then it could actually be worth it while for someone to like you know do the fifty one percent attack, even though it's expensive in in the like the native currency oh, terms, crazy. but it's not because they're making a trillion dollars in the yeah. Token, right? I had never so. considered that because that's actually a problem that Ethereum will have, right? Because if the tokens eventually become more valuable than the underlying network, right. then yeah. it does make sense. Yeah. And then the other, the other kind of beauty is that as, because these tokens, the way that the tokens exist in the stellar world, they're they're It's not just dollars. It's dollars backed by a particular institution. So it's like Wells Fargo dollars or chase bank dollars, something like that. And then that means that institution could be running a validator and say, here are the, here are the nodes out there that, I, that I'm listening to or that I trust. And as long as these people say that the dollar has moved, then the, I also agree that the dollar has moved. Right. And so then there can never be a, a network split or something like that. Cause you can imagine if this token exists, like if Chase Bank had a dollar, uh, in the Ethereum world and then now there's Ethereum and Ethereum classic, now their dollar exists in both worlds and right. which one are they redeeming? It's this big mess. Are they, are they obligated to both? Like it's, it's, it, that can't happen if you, actually have a fiat token right so. so i didn't so i didn't know that so if ethereum uh forks again do the tokens also fork as well yeah oh they they do as well crazy so you get that's yeah. really confusing yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> so i can see how that would be an issue so how do you know if someone has the underlying asset that they say that they have does that really does that matter how do you know that wells fargo if they have a billion dollars in in usd on the, right. on the exchange how, how do you how do you verify that I mean, how, how do you verify it today? I mean, they don't have the underlying assets today, right? So like, yeah, you, you basically that's who, who the institutions are that are backing these assets is important, right? Like you, you would rather have a Chase Bank dollar than a Mt. Gox dollar, right? So like you, right. But, but it's the same that's true in the world today. Like when you have a, when you use PayPal, you don't have a dollar, you have a PayPal dollar, right? And, right. And like, how do you know PayPal actually has a dollar? It kind of just doesn't matter unless. Yeah. Unless there's a bank run, right? Yeah, I was so. just wondering how we avoid getting into another tether-like situation right. where. I mean, I think you use institutions that are actually licensed and regulated, you know, that, right. that have real bank accounts, things like that, you know, like tethers. Yeah. You just don't know. I guess we might know by the time this podcast comes out, but at <laughs> right, this right, point right. in time, we don't know what's yeah, going yeah, on. Exactly. <laughs> but there could potentially be something, but who knows? The one thing that I, w- I will give you a lot of credit for is that a lot of these projects over the last like three or four years, they kind of just died off yeah. because there was this like three year like drought yeah. and there wasn't a whole lot of anything. And you've been hard at work on like continuing to improve and 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 now there's this big um, resurgence in in popularity around your project. What do you attribute that to? Like, how did you? Why was there this massive jump over the last couple right. months? Uh, I don't know, but yeah, there was a very long drought. It was it was pretty tough there for a couple of years. Uh, but yeah, now things have really picked up. Um, I, I think uh, I don't know. I mean. I have no idea what's was driving it. Just, it. Is, is, is I, it shocking to you as it was to yeah. me? Like, did you wake up one morning and look at your phone and were like, oh my God. Yeah, like, basically it was like, yeah, all of a sudden, uh, you know, lumens went up 10 X, like in the span of a week. And we're like, oh, wow, it's a different world now. And then it happened again, like a few months later. And then, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty game changing for us. That must just open up a ton of doors for you in terms of, do you see different amounts of like inbound 
Like you did a partnership, are you working on a partnership with IBM now? I, yeah. I, I guess was you're seeing more of that. The more you gain in popularity, the more people are reaching out. Yeah, I mean, well, the cool thing, the IBM partnership was actually in the works before the price uh, went up so much. But the, other than that, yeah, there's just obviously like a ton more inbound stuff. I mean, you know, a lot of it is nonsense, but I mean, definitely more like legitimate partners are reaching out to us. So yeah, there's. Uh, I think 2018 is going to be pretty huge for us. Can you tell me about the IBM partnership and what you is that the exchange that you're working on? No. Uh, yeah. So the IBM thing is, so like I said, like we don't spend much time focusing on large banks. So the, our IBM partnership is pretty perfect for us because they do, right? And they have relationships with sure. pretty much every bank on the planet. They basically uh, need some cross-border payment solution for these banks. So they're just working with them to integrate Stellar, essentially, right? So they're trying to bring a consortium of these banks together, and not just banks, but also central banks. Um, so there's a lot of countries around the world that are like looking to digi- like tokenize their fiat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is that kind of serves as the ultimate anchor. An anchor in us is like who's actually issuing the token onto the network, which is that's kind of the best one, right? If you can have actually have the central bank doing it, because then, then there's the counterparty is the country, which is kind of what you want for fiat, right? So, so if if they're tokenizing their fiat, and let's just say Switzerland, one of the central banks, or decides to do this, are they doing that through a private blockchain on using Stellar, or is that just how how would that work? I mean, n- none of it has happened yet, but okay. I mean, the, the countries that that have been talk to are uh they, they want to use the public chain because that's the advantage of it right so the, the, i think i think there's been a kind of a shift away from this private blockchain idea which was you know in vogue like a couple years ago mm-hmm. uh, because it really misses out on kind of the whole point of what a blockchain is like if you're going to have a private blockchain just have a database like there, there there's very little point in and go because there is a, definitely a cost to decentralization and if if you're don't need the decentralization just don't have it right so uh, so basically the ones that we've been talking to and the ones that are interested are th- they're thinking about it on the public network because they want their currency to be able to interact with other countries' currencies and, yeah. and, and other, you know, institutions out there in the world. So how far back does that go though? Does that go all the way to the consumer account level? Cause I, I worry that, you know, for me as an individual consumer, right. I would think like, I don't want my funds, my balances, my, unless there's some type of privacy built in. Right. Like how, how, how do you handle that? So, I mean, usually in the Stellar model, uh, and this is true of even the remittance companies that we're working with, the, the customer doesn't have a Stellar account. So they just have an account with the, the remittance company, you know, it'd be like you have a PayPal account and then when PayPal wants to send to, uh, like we pay or something like that, it, at that point it would go over the Stellar network. So it's just tied. You can see the money is moving from the PayPal wallet to the, to the we pay wallet, but you don't know who's actual. Right doing that. Yeah, that's right? what I was thinking when, when I was saying kind of like more private for the, the internal stuff, like yep. the privacy related stuff, and then external would be going over your network. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the model. And that, I think that's what makes sense, because you, you don't need everything to be on the public chain if it's within like one private network. I mean, the beauty of Stellar is it, it connects these networks, it doesn't have to be every transaction can't be on the Stellar network, right? So you just want the ones that are bridging across the, the networks mm-hmm. in Stellar. How do you ensure that your network is fully decentralized. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but how do you actually get and incentivize more people to participate so that, you know, yeah. it's not just a hundred or a thousand, but it's actually, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people in the network to have it fully decentralized. So like, unlike, unlike Bitcoin, it's like much lighter weight to run a Stellar node. It's more like running a, a mail server or a DNS server or something like that. Right. And I don't think we'll ever have like millions of Stellar validators in the world or anything like that. But, you know, if we have like a thousand, I think that that's pretty good. I mean, I think what you want to maintain is that it is sort of the optionality, you know, you know, like 
basically like if something starts to go wrong that people can route around it, like it's easy to spin up your own node, even if you're not running one now, like, so, uh, it's, it's sort of a, a check on, on what could go wrong. Right. It's the same way with like open source projects. Yes. Like, uh, Linux is, is, you know, there's one person that has like commit ask access on the Linux, uh, master. Right. And that's fine because at any point, if that goes wrong, someone can just fork the code and start right. their own. Right. So, so there's like a check on that power. And it's the same as true of this, where it's like, it's fine that there's like a more limited number of nodes because you know that you can set up your own or other people can set up their own if, if stuff starts to go wrong. And can you talk to me about where the data is actually stored? Kind of what structure that looks like? Like when I think about it, you, you know, a lot of this makes sense. Like if you're, um, PayPal and you want to move money to another, node, you could just say, I trust this other node, right? And then that connection happens. But where does that all reconcile to? Like, where is that stored in the ledger? Who's hosting that ledger? Yeah. So all the validators, the the, the nodes that are validating transactions, they, they have a complete copy of the state of the world. So they have, there's a database that essentially shows, you know, here's this account and here's its balance in these different currencies. Uh, and then when somebody sends a transaction, it's essentially like an update or an insert to that database, mm -hmm. right? And then it just changes. That makes sense. So but what about the potential attack? So if someone, if I created, let's say there's a thousand nodes right now yeah. and I go and I spin up 2000 nodes. Yeah. Why can't I just go and insert my own and, and take control of everything? Well, because that's the beauty of it, because you don't... You, each, each of the existing 1,000 nodes, they've already specified who they're listening to, right? And you're not, you're not listening to random people. So they're, they're not going to, if these 2,000 nodes come on and are saying another thing, they're just ignoring you. I right? see. Because so I can write anything I want to my own blockchain and on, on my 2,000 nodes, but no one else is going to pay attention. Right. Okay. So the writes still happen, but it's just just myself. <laughs> right, right. You've basically you've basically set up a different network. I see. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. So people are doing ICOs on your platform now, yeah, yeah, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you yeah. think about that? You know, I mean, Stellar is like a pretty perfect platform to issue tokens of other things on it, right? That's what it's built to do is like hold other kinds of assets and tokens. So I think it's a pretty natural thing for people to do. I mean, obviously like a lot of ICOs out there in the world are dubious. So uh, I mean, we're trying to you know, as much as we can, like, obviously we can't control it, but like, we just try to encourage the, the good ones to build onto seller. Yeah. I mean, the whole ICO thing is, is pretty crazy. Well, I'm, I'm curious how it's going to shake out in the next uh, year or so. Yeah. The crackdowns <laughs> that we're starting to see, yeah. they, some of them actually make sense. Like a lot of the, that seems like they're scam projects and yeah, and for sure. Like yeah. I mean, it seems like the, it seems like they're definitely going after the ones that are super egregious first, which makes sense. Uh, we'll, we'll see how far they go, hopefully, because the thing is like, although, it doesn't make sense that you can just put up a, a white paper and raise a hundred million dollars. I think this ICO idea has a lot of merit. You know, I think, I think it's gone too far, but the fact that you can raise money from people all over the world is pretty awesome because like in the traditional way, I mean, you know, being a VC, like, like if you're not in Silicon Valley, it's like pretty hard. It's much harder to raise money. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. If you're in like Indonesia or something like that, it's like sure. you're, you get screwed. Right. And the same is true. If, if you want to invest in things and you're in Kansas, like you, you don't have any deal flow. Like it's, it's not the same as being here. So uh, this just kind of levels the whole playing field and like, you know, democratizes access to all this stuff, which I think is great. And it benefits both the, the, you know, the people raising money and the investors. I think it, it could, it's a pretty good innovation once it gets reined in a little bit and like yeah. meets reality a little more. 100% so, agree. Yeah. Now, if people go and they, they create a, a token, is it considered a token or is it considered its own kind of currency or are those kind of one and the same really on the Stellar network? Yeah, there's no real distinction in the Stellar world. It's just, yeah, it's basically, you know, you either have like a, a dollar token or a whatever, you know, your ICO token or whatever. It's, it's treated the same. 
And how, how does one, like, you know, I'm very uh, familiar with, like, how you would do this. I've yet to participate in an ICO on Stellar. Uh, so I, I'm curious, like, you know, on the Ethereum side of things, you, you know, you follow the contract, you put in the decimal places, you put in the symbol, and then, like, boom, auto, they automatically show up in my wallet. How does that, that work on, on your side of the house? So, uh, I mean, it's really straightforward. You mean for someone that wants to issue the one? Yeah, they issue a new one and I want to buy into yeah. it. Like, how does that how does that function? It's really straightforward because it's like a built-in primitive to the network. So uh, basically, you as the someone who wants to hold these new tokens, you just, you just trust the issuer. You say, like, hey, I'm willing to hold these tokens. And at that point, uh, you know, you pay them for the tokens, however that's done. And then they just send them to you. And then now they show up in your wallet, right? So in the database, it'll show, you know, your account and then like how much of this token that you own. Gotcha. So, yeah. Now, how about cross-blockchain interoperability between different currencies? Like how, if you were to go and allow or want to purchase something off of your own blockchain onto another blockchain, does does Seller uh, support that in any way? The, like the mechanism for like atomic cross-chain swaps yeah. is there. Like you could, you could build it and do it. There's no like easy library or something that someone's built to like, or, or interface for someone to easily do that right now. But the underlying mechanism is in the protocol. So somebody could easily could, could build this thing. So when we're starting that. to see some of these projects show up where you can do these atomic swaps and right, right now it's very limited and very beta and all of that. Yeah. Stellar could be a, a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. In. Yeah. It's, it's got, it's got the, the necessary primitives to, to do that stuff. So yeah. If ICOs become a, a very hot thing and all of a sudden there's thousands or tens of thousands on your network, do you need a decentralized exchange in some way? And that like, like say 0x is a, a right. great protocol for all that stuff. Would, would that work with, with Stellar as well? One of the, I mean, we haven't really talked about this, but one of the cool things that Stellar has, one of the, the unique features is that it has a decentralized exchange built in, which you need for cross-border payments, right? So uh, if, you know, if somebody has euros and they want to send money to, to Mexico, the person receives pesos, the euros need to be swapped into pesos, right? So that's built into the, the network already. So you can trade these tokens for each other and people can put up offers to buy and sell them. And then when you send a payment, it goes through these offers to, to do the, the, the exchange, right? So where is the order book? Where is that housed and... It's just, it's in the ledger. So it's basically in this database as well, because uh, since just because of the design, this is kind of one of the things that we realize is not only can you do payments, but you can kind of put, it's just a distributed database. So you can kind of put whatever in there. So, uh, so there's a lot of flexibility of what you could store in, in this thing. Right. So, and one of the things we store is these orders for, for making these trades possible. So how fast is that in, in terms of, you know, one of the things that on a lot of these decentralized exchanges it's a nightmare because they're always like lagging yeah. and the, the order books really aren't big enough and there's not enough liquidity there. Right. Uh, how is that a uh, function uh, on your network? Is that, is it, is it really fast to keep up with? Yeah. I mean, it's not as fast as like NASDAQ, but, but it's uh, basically the ledger closes every five seconds. So if you issue a trade, it'll close, you know, you'll get it in from three to five seconds, depending on where you put it in, in that cycle. Again, like because we built this trading in as a primitive, it's it's always going to be more efficient and easier than doing it on something like Ethereum that they have to build it through scripting, right? right. So it's going to be just more efficient because it's part of the protocol, right? So yeah, so I think, you know, for a decentralized system, it's, I think it's, I would be shocked if it's not the fastest one. Awesome. Where does this go five years from now? Where do you really want to see your network? Like, what do you want to get into? Like, you're not doing smart contracts per se today. Is that already kind of like that ship has sailed and enough folks are working on that? Are there other things that you're excited about? So there's tons of stuff you can do with this technology, right? We would love to see people take the stellar code and do lots of different things with it. I mean, what we're focusing on is definitely this cross-border payments piece, because I think that's 
that's where the most clear need for like something like blockchain exists. Uh, it's sort of the, it's a huge problem and, and, and payments kind of underpins a lot of the other things that you can ultimately do with, with, uh, this kind of technology. Like for instance, if you wanted to start doing equities or derivatives, like you need, you need payments at some point there, or even like trade finance, like at some point payments comes into play. Right. So uh, payment seems like kind of like a, a first building block. So we really want to get the network to the state where it does become this, this standard for the way you send money around the world, just in the same way that SMTP is a standard for sending messages. Right. So, and just people just kind of start to adopt it organically. Like that's, that's where we're trying to, to get. And, and kind of, I think the way we get there is just, uh, build this network of, of like remittance companies and payment providers. Uh, and once, once that's large enough, it just becomes, it just starts to snowball and like more people go like start adding on to it just because it's more and more compelling. So. You, know, you say building this network of remittance companies it, tell me how does the average, can you, can you paint a, a picture real quick? Like how the average consumer would use this? Like, let's say you're in a country, you need to move money cross country, which millions of people have to do. I'm sure almost every day. Right, right. Um, what, what does that look like in terms of like functionality? Do they have an app on their phone? Like how do you envision that playing? Yeah. Out? I mean, I mean, ultimately, yeah, it, it would be cool if like there was like some global Venmo that was actually like backed by the stellar network where you'd have different fiat balances and you could send it to anyone and just get that would be amazing ultimately. Right. So I think, I think, are you making that? Are you making global Venmo? That sounds awesome. Uh, we're working with some people that are going to make one, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so there's a lot to do obviously for this ecosystem. So as much as possible, we try to get other people to, to, to like contribute and like help out because we can't do everything. So, uh, but yeah, we're working with people that are, that are making such a thing, but like today, if you want to do it, like for instance, if in Europe, there's a remittance company, they have little kiosks all around uh, Paris. You can like bring them euros. You can say, Hey, I want to send this money to the Philippines. And then in the back end, it's going over the stellar rail. Like you as a user don't know, but the, but the money gets there, you know, quicker than before and it's cheaper than before. And then it just shows up at, at someone's either phone or bank account in the Philippines. So it's like super That's smooth. Amazing. Yeah. So I, I love that because it, there's so many people that take advantage of folks in this space, you know, like people having to send money cross border yep. and they charge you these insane outlandish fees to do so. Yeah. And it's oftentimes you know, at least a, a few of my friends here in San Francisco, they're like trying to get money back to their family right. to like help them pay for bills. And all of a sudden they get hit with like a, you know, yeah, 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 definitely. That like hurts like the, the poorest people in these right. countries. That's like, the worst proportional. Yeah. 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 Take advantage yeah, of. yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, this will fi like help fix all that stuff. So yeah, that's yeah. definitely our goal. That's very cool. Yeah. What else are you excited about these days? I mean, you must be just like swamped. I always like to end these these little chats with either anything that you're excited that you're working on that you want to talk about here at the company or other projects that you're looking at that you personally think are, are cool and, and are tracking. There's one that I'm super excited about. But I can't talk about yet. Uh, there's Is it your own or somebody else's. No, somebody else's. Okay. Um, let's see. For, that's horrible. Tease. I know that. That's a horrible tease. Yeah, I was almost like, why was pointing <laughs> saying this? Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's see. For us, uh, we're we're basically making a nice UI for this decentralized exchange that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. The hope is that it'll like be as easy to use as like Kraken or Polynix or easier because those things are a little hard to use still. Uh, but, and rather than be like the central exchange in the back end, it'll be uh, the stellar network in the back end. What was the name of that? Uh, we don't you, have a name for it. Oh, yet. you don't? Yeah, I yeah. read about this. You yeah. talked about it though, right? Yeah. Well, I think we're calling internally SDEX, like the stellar decentralized exchange, okay. but it's going to have a different name when we eventually launch it. But that's yeah. going to be fiat to fiat exchange, basically. Um, yeah, it'll be, and well, token. it'll be fiat and tokens. Like okay. so basically like when these people do their ICOs on stellar, now they could be exchanged in this thing it's a little bit easier. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the exchange already exists, but there's just no nice UI for it yet. So when will that launch? Um, hopefully we'll see, but hopefully, hopefully in the spring. Or, yeah, cool. It will be the MVP of it. So. Um, what other technologies am amaze you? 
Like when you look out there, you're like, oh, wow, that, you know, Ryblox, where I guess it's called Nano now. Uh, oh, yeah. Or are there anything else that, that you look out there and you're like, wow, those guys are doing some really cool work? Yeah, I haven't spent, like, honestly, I haven't spent enough time looking at what the, like, one of the things I'm hoping to do is, is, uh, free up some of my time here so I can do a lot more research on other cryptocurrency projects. Cause I know that there's lots of cool ideas out there that, that, that would be good for us to incorporate or collaborate with in some way. And I just haven't had enough time to like read all the papers and like see what's real and, and what's BS. Right. So I, I I'm, going to try to find some time to do that in the next few months and then I'll have a better answer for you. But <laughs> right now I don't know. It yeah. is such a slippery yeah. slope. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much out there. It's, it's just like, uh, you, know. you find yourself staring at the right. screen at like 4am. You're like, where did right. the last 10 hours of my <laughs> right. life go? Yeah. 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 Awesome. So. so if people want to help out, get involved, um, where should they, you know, check, follow your, do you, you do tweet a lot? Like what's, what's the best place to, I hardly ever tweet. I have a Twitter account, but I, I just read things. Uh, let's see. I mean, we have a Reddit community that's pretty active. Uh, we have a public Slack. If you go slack.stella.org, you can get in there and, and, and chit chat with us. All the developers hang out there. Yeah, those are probably the best ways, probably. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Talk to you soon. All right, that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to sign up for my once a month newsletter, I put in all kinds of fun crypto stuff and other life hack related stuff. Um, head on over to kevinrose.com. The newsletter is on there. You can sign up and join right about 100,000 other people that are part of that newsletter. And as always, the number one way you can help us out and get better guests on the show and have this recommended to more people is to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review or really any app that you're using. So whatever you're using to listen to this, um, head on over to whether it's Stitcher or Google Play. If you give us that positive review, we get recommended to more people and we get better guests on the show. So that's it. That's my plug for now. Hope you have a great rest of your day, week, month. Take care.